Welcome to Bell Curve with Mary Scott, Rachel, and Liz, three friends, three Southern Bells, joining you, smart women, to discuss life, work, relationships, business, everything from the nerdy to the normal, the practical to the philosophical, the head to the heart. Thanks for joining us as we observe, analyze, and often deviate from the standard. Hello, hello, my friends. Thanks for joining us. Fair warning, today we are talking about the big, bad S word. Rachel, this is a clean show. The S word, my goodness. (laughs) Surely you mean something nice. like Surely you just. Like Sudoku or Szechuan or something like that. Okay, no, so not those S words and not a curse word either, Mary Scott, though this S word definitely makes a lot of people want to curse. (laughs) I am the only one that gets to be bleeped on bell curve. Yeah, exactly. Um, So this S word. Hey, I don't know how to take that. (laughs) So this S word can feel as scary and uncomfortable and, and anxiety producing as public speaking for some people. But as exhilarating, rewarding, and fun as, I don't know, skydiving to others, as if you did not already know, considering it's in our episode title, we are talking today about sales. Now, if that word prompts you to picture the person who comes to your front door to sell security systems or pest control services or, you know, the person you buy a car from, know that what we'll discuss today certainly applies to those traditional sales situations. But we're also using the term sales to mean things like selling yourself in an interview, raising money, convincing existing customers to upgrade, maybe, I don't know, maybe some of y'all sell an MLM product or, you know, even convincing people to come to your event or party. It's all persuasion. It's all selling of a sort, and it can all produce some negative emotions. So in the often cited 2013 book, To Sell is Human, Daniel Pink makes the case that we're really all in sales in modern times. He writes, dig beneath the sprouts of your own calendar entries and examine their roots, and I suspect you'll discover something similar. Some of you, no doubt, are selling in the literal sense, convincing existing customers and fresh prospects to buy casualty insurance or consulting services or homemade pies at a farmer's market. But all of you are likely spending more time than you realize selling in a broader sense, pitching colleagues, persuading funders, cajoling kids. Like it or not, we're all in sales now. And most people upon hearing this don't like it much at all. Sales? Bleck. To the smart set, sales is an endeavor that requires little intellectual throw weight, a task for slick gladhanders who skate through life on a shoeshine and a smile. To others, it's the province of dodgy characters doing slippery things, a realm where <laughs> trickery and deceit get the speaking parts while honesty and fairness watch mutely from the rafters. Still others view it as the white-collar equivalent of cleaning toilets. Necessary, perhaps, but unpleasant and even a bit unclean. So, sales is a huge topic we couldn't hope to completely do justice to in one episode. It's something I've personally paid thousands of dollars to get trained in, which mostly just humbled me to recognize how valuable professional salespeople are. It's a serious skill, y'all, and the salespeople in your company or the fundraisers in your nonprofit, they deserve every penny they earn. So please hug a salesperson today and know that there's really a long trail of learning you can go down. But today we're going to focus in on three keys to cultivating a successful sales mindset that you can immediately put into practice no matter if you're selling a product or just trying to get someone to do something you want or need them to do. 
So before we dive into that, guys, with that Daniel Pink quote in mind, I'm really quite curious. How do you feel about sales? And can you tell us about a time, recent or not, you had to sell in the literal or broad sense? I think Daniel Pink hits it right on the money that it it can be a really uncomfortable position to put yourself in in a certain mindset. As doing a whole lot of consulting in the last several years, I'm constantly putting myself out there in a way that I'm essentially selling myself and selling my services for a living. And it's a place, honestly, where that imposter syndrome we've talked about before can really start to sneak in. And that's that's one of the things, one of the issues I have with sales from my perspective is, well, I'm asking somebody to pay me money to do this thing, but oh, am I really worth that? And that's where, where I get tricked up. And so I, I would love to, I hope you have some tips about that kind of thing. So I am sort of surprised I'm not in sales. I I have <laughs> always loved selling. <laughs> I love the challenge of selling. I'm not directly in sales, um, but I think you have to sell all the time. If I've been in politics and you have to sell a concept or you have to sell your position on an issue or if you're giving a closing argument to a jury, you have to sell them on your frame of the case, how you're framing out your case. If you're defending, if you're prosecuting, whatever you have to sell. If you're in an interview, you have to sell yourself. So I have found myself a lot over the years thinking, how do I sell this? You know, what I can remember sort of doing a sales job on my husband and um, we were laughing before the show, you know, trying to get our husbands to listen can be a challenge sometimes. (laughs) But I remember having to sell the idea of moving to Huntsville to him because he'd never been here. And I'm going to give myself away here, but it had to be his idea. So you have to sell that. You have to find a way, you know, to sell whatever it is. But um, I guess I don't feel badly about it. I feel, I don't know, I relish it. Maybe it runs in the blood. My brother is a salesman. But raising money, I mean, you you ran for office. You had to raise money. To me, that that falls under the same. And it's the ultimate sales. Oh, ultimate. So tell us, how, did you ever feel any negative emotions about that? Was it all oh, fun? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it, it gets, you're going down your list and you think, oh, I don't want to call this person. They're hard to reach. They're always grouchy. You know, they don't, they never want to give. But then what, I, don't know, I guess we're going to get into this a little later, but I have some tricks for that kind of situation. Um, uh, things that I did to help me to help me get past that. But yeah, I mean, you're one, you just get tired of being told no to. I mean, you, you've been told no so many times you're like, oh, my gosh, I cannot take another no. But um, that's probably the, the biggest sales job I've ever done is the fundraising. But it's not like a, a skill that only a few people are born with. It's something you can develop. And I know you're going to get into that. So, Well, you know, for me, my feeling about sales has vacillated over the years as well as my experience with it. You know, besides being a kid going around the neighborhood selling myself as a pet sitter, really my first sales work, I didn't think of as sales at all as a younger woman some of the bread and butter, lower end uh, jobs I would take through my acting and modeling agencies were basically sales. You know, I'd be hired to represent a company or product at a convention booth or go to a gala or event and try to get wealthy people to donate money or, you know, hand out free drink tickets and steer people into restaurants. And then casting calls and stuff like that, I see now gave me a good taste of selling myself essentially as a service provider. And I got tons of rejection, tons, which was a really good experience for me. I know it built some healthy resilience, but then I didn't do any sales for a long time. Fast forward to several years ago, I went through an executive coach certification program 
And I know it sounds ridiculous. Of course, I know better now. But I didn't really think about this, that getting certified was only half of it. The other half was I'd actually need to sell my services. I mean, I guess I thought if you build it, they will come. Actually, they won't. (laughs) It's maybe (laughs) like a dentist who goes to dental school and forgets he or she is also going into business. You know, they're not going to be doing any dentistry if they don't sell their services, right? So I kind of came to and put on a suit and literally pounded the pavement around Huntsville, walking into businesses, making cold calls and offering my services. And I won't go into the whole story, but that's how I got my first uh, big client, which led to a bigger client, which led to a, you know, another big client and so on. And it was not easy. And it's still not easy. I believe many of us can relate to this that, you know, back when I was selling someone else's whatever it was, my identity was not involved. If they didn't want the product or didn't like the price, welp, I didn't make the product. I didn't set the price. No harm to my identity done. Thank you. Next. However, what I sell now feels deeply personal. You know, I put a lot of who I am into my work. I set my own prices. There's more at stake as an income producer for my family. So now when I need to drum up some new clients or sell something to existing clients, it's a whole different situation with the whole mindset process I have to go through really to get myself in the zone. For me, it's three keys to a successful sales mindset. And number one, and this is just Rachel's kind of three things that I do to get in the mindset, is first to clear out cognitive dissonance. In other words, only sell what you really believe is valuable. So what is cognitive dissonance? Well, it's a psychological theory first proposed by Leon Festinger, and it's defined as the mental discomfort or psychological stress experienced by a person who holds two or more contradictory beliefs, ideas, or values. This stress can also happen for someone who holds a belief and performs a contradictory action. So psychologists say this is really one of the most uncomfortable mental states we can experience and leads to stress and anxiety. So what does this all have to do with sales? Well, if you believe the product you're selling is a waste of money or is harmful and you simultaneously value honesty and improving other people's lives, you're going to experience some mental distress, you know, some cognitive dissonance. If you're trying to get anyone to do anything that you yourself wouldn't do, most of us are going to feel some sense of dis, you know, dissonance, har- unharmony. I don't think that's a word. But anyway, it's really important to think about how you feel about whatever you're going to be selling before you agree to sell it. Because y'all, we humans are just very, very, very good at reading each other. If you don't believe in what you're selling, sorry, the potential client or customer knows it. And you probably won't make the sale anyway. And if you're selling yourself, you know, that means you have to confront that inner critic, recognize the value in what you're offering and, and, you know, feel good about that offer. Now, I do have to say real quick, that doesn't mean everything that you may have to sell in your life will provoke you to passion. (laughs) Like if I worked in a clothing store, I'd absolutely be fine with selling a shirt I wouldn't personally wear. Difference in taste is not going to provoke mental stress for me. However, If I had to sell people on a food or beverage that would hurt their well-being or raise money for a cause I didn't believe in, you bet that's going to bother me, cloud my mindset and be communicated in subtle ways that harm my credibility and ultimately lessen the chances I'm even going to be successful at that. And I've been in that position before and it stinks. So I know for some in sales, there's no choice here. You're working with a company. This is your job. That's that. But if you're in that position and the dissonance is bad enough, you may need to consider a job change to preserve your sense of mental well-being and and to even be successful. So as far as it depends on you, if and where you have a choice, put your sales or persuasion energies only into ideas, causes, products, and services that aren't the result of someone else's priorities, 
but that you really believe in so you can wholeheartedly sell with as little cognitive dissonance as possible. So I had some thoughts on this, Rachel, because I, I really liked that you went into it. And I think there's a couple of things about cognitive dissonance. One, if you are experiencing it, I think you should see that as a good thing because that means that you are mindful and people that go into something and there's sort of the antithesis of cognitive dissonance is willful ignorance, or maybe it's not the antithesis, first cousin of it. You know, if you're selling something that you believe is wrong, but you sell it anyway, you're probably choosing to be willfully ignorant, you know, and it might be something that you know is going to hurt people, you know, is not going to be good for people, you know, it's going to, you know, you know, you're selling them a sham or you're, or you're, or it's a racket. I do think that cognitive dissonance, though, can come in on those kind of less than that situations. And that's where it gets really tricky. And it's a balancing test there when you you have to decide, do I believe in this product? Do I believe in this service enough to sell it? Um, Can I find something about it that I believe in enough to sell it in that way? Maybe I can't sell it this way, but I can sell it another way. I think that's a healthy cognitive dissonance where you you go through the mental exercise and, and, and mentally exercising is hard work and a lot of people just want to avoid it and slide right into something. Willful ignorance, though, is bad, bad, bad. That means you're not living intentionally and that means you're not making the kind of choices for your life and for your work that you need to be making. So I really like this question about cognitive dissonance. I think if you're a thinking you know, reasonable thinking person, you are going to experience this. Um, and, and you're probably going to experience in a sales context in the broad sense or, or the, you know, the true, no kidding, selling a product sense. Y'all, I am such a skeptical person. <laughs> I, you have to, if you want to sell me something, you have to really convince me that this is going to provide value to my life that this is something you really believe is is going to enrich me in in a, a way that is worth more than the money I'm going to spend or the time I'm going to spend on it. And like you said Rachel, you can really tell when somebody doesn't believe in what they're selling. And as a skeptic, that comes across even more. So just a word of warning to anybody who might be having experiencing some cognitive dissonance about what they're selling out there. I might not be your best mark because you, you're really, like you said, you really do have to show it in your body language, in the words you choose, in the way you sell it, and the way you present the product to me. Well, Liz, you, you brought up how hard it can be when you're selling yourself, you're selling your own services, not to question your own value. Do you have anything that, that you kind of do mentally to get in the zone when you have to go into a meeting and sell? I think a big change that I've had to make is not taking no too personally there are going to be potential clients that can't pay because they don't have it in their budget. Even though they would really like the service, they don't have it in their budget. I can't take that personally. Now that, that is something that I've struggled with in the past of like, oh, well, they said no. But I, you know, at the end of the day, you can't devalue your services either just to get to that yes. Because that can be more harmful to your, your self-esteem and the value of what you're doing in the long term than just moving on to a different client. Not every client is going to be good for every person. And then on, on the other side of that, though, 
of realizing that there is a market out there and that market is constantly changing for the kind of work that you and I do. Also, so being mindful of, you know, what was worth this much last year, maybe a 22 year old can do it for half that price now and still do just as good of a job. So I have to take that into into account too and, and continue expanding my skill set, continue expanding what I offer. I really love that you hit on really what the next, I think, key is. And that is, you know, you're talking about maybe a little bit of fear of getting that no. I think the second key to developing a successful sales mindset is to acknowledge and confront your fears. And this is important because fear prompts a physiological response that can absolutely sabotage your success. According to health experts at the University of Washington, when we feel afraid, our bodies divert blood away from our brain's frontal lobe, which is responsible for logical thinking, and the amygdala takes over, which is the more kind of reptilian part of our brains. And that blood is sent into large muscle groups to prepare us to flee or fight. (laughs) So, you know, try selling with all that going on. And I've been there, done that too. You know, it's like that feeling when you can't think straight and you just have the overwhelming urge to leave. I remember having a conversation with some folks one time and I suddenly looked up and I was outside on the sidewalk. (laughs) I don't even know how I got there. I don't think I said goodbye. It it just all of a sudden the fear took over and I was outside. Just got to get out of here. I just got to get out of here. And you know, so I think (laughs) the blood rushed to my limbs and I was gone. And that's not fun. And it obviously won't help you sell. So we have to acknowledge and confront our fears. Because as we so often say at Bell Curve, awareness is truly half the battle. If I'm aware of what I'm afraid of, and how my body tends to react to that fear, I can engage that as an observer rather than being surprised when fear shows up, not really knowing where it came from and just reacting. So according to a number of articles I read about this, sales fear tends to fall under two main categories, fear of rejection and fear of seeming pushy or coming across salesy. So ladies, does one or the other or both of those types of fears resonate or or are there other fears that you have related to selling? Yes. So I've mostly gotten over the fear of rejection. But y'all, the feel, the fear of seeming pushy or coming across as too salesy is something I still really, really struggle with, particularly when it when it comes to, and you wouldn't think this is something I struggle with, but particularly when it gets, comes to getting people to pay their freaking invoices. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, well, I sent pay them me. an email last week, and it, it's it can be really frustrating because you know it's this is my livelihood. But on the other side, well, I want them to to continue to do business with me and they might not want to if they think I'm a pushy person. So it's that is that is a fear I struggle with constantly. I have definitely experienced both of these and probably some other fears, too. But I think if you can take the fear and, as you said, Rachel, understand what's happening and use it in a way. Like, okay, I'm going to face my fears. And, and and then when you do, you feel great about yourself because you have overcome a hard challenge. So knowing that everyone feels fear in this situation or almost everyone and knowing that 
the best way to overcome fear is to do the thing that you're afraid of. I think you could kind of use it as an opportunity for personal growth. And, you know, you won't be great at it at first. Nobody's great at the thing that they don't do, you know, because they're scared of it. I mean, nobody is good at first, but you get better and better and better and things get easier as you go along and you learn the tricks of the trade. And yeah, so um, maybe just knowing that everybody pretty much feels these two fears and probably some other ones too, that. That makes me feel better about it anyway. Yeah. And I think the fear definitely for me of coming across salesy like you, Liz, is the one that bothers me. But something that has helped me are all the sales experts who have said it's really crucial to shift your thinking from thinking of yourself, oh, I'm trying to get this person to buy something they may not want or need, to thinking of yourself as someone helping someone find a product or service that they very much may want or need and that could greatly improve their life or business. Weldon Long writes in Harvard Business Review that, quote, the key to getting comfortable with sounding like a sales professional is understanding that sales is an honorable profession. After all, we salespeople are talented problem solvers. We improve business performances and processes. We help consumers and businesses get the products and services they want and need. We keep our companies in business. Some salespeople provide medicine and equipment needed to save a life. Some provide the technology needed to improve business performance. Some provide the services we need to improve our quality of life at home and at work. So get comfortable with the fact that you're going to sound like a salesperson because you are a salesperson. <laughs> when you dial someone's phone number or walk into their office, remember this. You are there to help them improve their lives and businesses. Be proud of that. Until you understand the simple concept, you're going to be anxious and fearful, end quote. Oh, that is awesome, Rachel. That is such a profound, I'd almost ask you to read it again, but I, I hope our listeners will go back and we'll put that exact quote from the Harvard Business Review in our notes, because I think that is just so key. You, you are a professional in sales, and that is a great profession, and it's an honorable profession. And I think getting into that mindset gives you a sense of your value, and that's going to make it easier to do. Yeah, and here's something important, really, to truly be the helper, not just think of yourself, but to actually be that helper. According to statistics compiled by HubSpot, when asked, what do buyers want from sales pros, 69% said they want someone to listen to my needs. Y'all, this is so important, and I think it's one reason Daniel Pink, who we already referenced, wrote that despite appearances, introverts can actually make some of the best salespeople if they play to their strengths and ask questions that help them find out what the need or problem is that they or their business or idea or whatever can solve. I mean, particularly if they're insightful enough to figure out what someone's higher level needs are. Like maybe someone's, you know, is buying a house, but the smart realtor is going to ask good questions and really listen and hone in on the higher emotional needs. Yes, this client is talking about numbers of bedrooms and baths and types of counters, but maybe what the realtor's really hearing during their good conversations is that more than anything, what this client wants is safety. This client wants community. This client values hospitality. So they need some, you know, patio space. And the realtor's in a much better position to really help that person find the right house that meets those deeper, higher level emotional needs. I love that you use the real estate example because my sister-in-law is a great real estate agent here in Birmingham. And she and I were having a conversation about this just the other night about how not only is she a salesperson in that she sells houses, but she is helping people. You know, every, every 
client she works with, she wants to help put them in their dream house, not just in terms of it's, you know, it has the, the right number of attributes and the right arrangement, but that it's somebody, it's somewhere that they can find those more ethereal values in as well. And she said on the other side of it, she really is in a lot of ways, a professional communicator in that she, she has to be the go between, between her clients, you know, the, the buyers and the sellers. And sometimes that's, that means presenting really bad news or less than ideal news in a way that, that still gets everybody to the table. And that, that right there in, a, in and of itself is a sales job too. <laughs> saying, okay, well this thing happened, but it's going to be okay because X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and I like that idea of, you know, really listening so you can match whatever product or service or idea or whatever it is to the person's needs, which means you might, you know, look, all this other stuff's off the table now because I realize they don't need that. And just kind of being willing to go down the right path, I think, probably leads to more success. Okay, so to recap, we believe in what we're selling. We're in the mindset that we are honorable people who want to help. The third key to a successful sales mindset is to detach our identity from the outcome. And Liz kind of already got to this a little bit, but okay, so you're all jazzed up and maybe your worst fear comes true. You know, no one seems to want what you're selling. You put yourself out there and advertise a live webinar and only your mom showed up or, you know, you got in a good... <laughs> Did that happen? Oh, that happens to <laughs> that's everyone. A very, that's a very specific example. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you got in a good mindset about your consulting price and you told the client what it was and they balked saying they were thinking way less or someone just didn't want or need whatever it was. So what now? Well, this is hard, but I, you know, I want to give you a few sales statistics that I do hope is a comfort because this is going to happen and it happens to anyone trying to sell. According to Baylor University, the average salesperson generates roughly one appointment or referral from every 209 cold calls. Oh, that makes my, my palms clammy. <laughs> I know, that's such a painful. Uh, the average sales conversion rate across all industries is between 2 and 4%, according to Statista. 50% of all sales happen after the fifth contact, but most reps give up after just two, according to Inside Sales. And only 2% of sales happen at the first meeting, according to Marketing Donut. I share that because rejection of your initial sales pitch, or even a very firm, don't ask again, I don't need this, is not a rejection of you or me. <laughs> I'm telling this to myself, okay? This is like, this is good for me. It's, it's really just part of that market dance. But, you know, you were talking about, Liz, you know, between humans trying to buy and sell things with each other with a thousand variables that you can't control and might not have anything to do with you at all. I mean, think of it like this. Maybe someone makes an offer to, to you and you're not really interested at the moment or you're distracted by something else and you move on or you say, oh, let me think about it. Or you say, not right now. Or maybe even you say, yeah, sure, and then you just forget about it. Do we think less of that person who was selling to us? Or do we even think of them at all? No. We aren't even thinking about them, really, I, I venture a guess. Particularly if they own a business and selling is part of what they're supposed to do. You're not thinking negatively about that person. So realize that even if someone gives you a disinterested face, or it makes kind of a look on their face that... <laughs> Like I tell this to public speaking students. You could have somebody giving you a straight up 
I hate this speech look and then give you a recommendation that it was the best freaking thing they ever heard. So you can't go by the looks on people's faces. You know, sometimes people are just processing your offer or your invitation and just going about their day. Your identity really is not and should not be wrapped up in whether someone buys from you at that moment or reacts positively. And I think so many people give up at that stage, right? They didn't get the initial response they wanted. And with social media, it feels embarrassing. They got, you know, like two likes on their ad. And so they quietly go away or stop trying. Don't give up. Even if someone doesn't want what you're selling, they're not judging you a failure like maybe we think or worry that they are. I have a question for Mary Scott. A second ago, you were holding up a little baby kitten. How did you sell getting um, some kittens to the rest of your family? <laughs> they had to sell me, actually. <laughs> and I'm sorry if I'm to our listeners. I'm sorry if you heard any pet noises. I have two little new baby kittens, and um, they are running around the room here. But they had to sell me, and you know, I think like when that sales job came in, I, I. I saw a lot of pictures from Anne Claire on, uh, you know, um, kittens and, you know, she, she, and I think there were some tears and. <laughs> okay. N- noted. You know, noted. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I want to comment on what you said about not getting all wrapped up in, in your identity with all this, because it is just so easy to do to, and rejection is, I would venture to say you, you deal with it regularly, daily, maybe. I mean, you, you you don't feel like somebody accepted your idea. Maybe you're doing an actual sales call and the, the sales call didn't go well, or you're trying to sell a car or a piece of real estate. or Find a way to be positive about your situation, if, even if it doesn't seem very positive, because if you can't find a way to get into that positive mindset, I don't think you can survive. I just, I don't think you have a choice here. Uh, And it's not just, you can change sales jobs. You can change from, you know, let's say you're working for a cigarette company and you decide you don't believe in that. I can understand that. Um, You know, but but a lot of times it's not like that. It's, you know, you're, you're changing from one real estate company to another real estate company. You're changing from one, one car dealership to another car dealership or one law firm to another law firm. I don't think a lot of the decisions are quite as, they're not quite as black and white as you might think. And so I think you're going to just have to do a lot of soul searching about all this. And if if you let it get, you let your identity get too wrapped up in it and who you are, you're going to, I mean, you're going to have a lot more to bear and a lot bigger burden to carry than what you really should. Well, and, and on that note, this is, this is to me very important because even if you are not selling anything at the moment, you're being sold to. And so we've talked before about, for instance, how much rude emails and social media comments hurt the very real people on the other side of that. So I want to bring up that we need to be empathetic to people selling us things. (laughs) This is funny. My husband Pepper was telling me how he had to go over to someone's house for something recently. They weren't expecting him. And this acquaintance of ours who actually used to be a pastor opened the door, I guess didn't immediately recognize him and like growled at him. What do you want? Because I'm not buying. (laughs) And when he realized it was Pepper, he was so embarrassed. 
you know, so and I've been guilty of getting getting annoyed. You know, I've I've gotten I got mad at that personal info website I told you all about because of, of what they were selling me. But in general, I try really, really hard when someone's trying to sell me something to listen politely, respond politely, be firm if I don't want something so as not to mislead. And really very important to me, not balk at someone's price. I mean, I will ask for a discount for sure. But if there isn't one, if that's their price, you know, no one's forcing me to buy. I can go elsewhere if I don't like the price. So I think we we need to not treat salespeople badly. Let's treat them how we want to be treated, right? Right. I mean, I think I find myself saying to salespeople, you're a really good salesman, but I'm just not interested right now. And I think that saves them time. They get onto another customer. It, it honors their profession. It's respectful of them. You, you don't, you're, it takes the same amount of time to be rude as it does to be polite and politely decline if you just don't want the product or service. Absolutely. Well, I feel like no discussion about sales can happen without some good quotes from Brian Tracy. Some of the very first sales books I read were written by him, and he's credited really with helping salespeople change their inner thoughts about what they do. So to close this episode, here are a few of my very favorite Brian Tracy quotes. Quote, your most valuable asset can be your willingness to persist longer than anyone else. Think continually about what you want, not about what you fear. Never say anything about yourself you don't want to come true. And lastly, my favorite, move out of your comfort zone. You can only grow if you're willing to feel awkward and uncomfortable when you try something new. Remember, y'all, you are selling something you believe in, that you are passionate about. You're an honorable person, not out to cheat or trick. You're here to help, and you are not your product, service, event, charity, or any of that stuff. Rejection is not a rejection of you. So be joyful, be persistent, banish fear, and go out there and sell something. This has been Bell Curve Podcast. We appreciate you. Please connect with us at Bell Curve Pod on all the social media platforms. And you can email us at, what is it, Liz? Podcast at gmail.com. And please leave us a review. Thank you so much to all of y'all who have. And also don't forget, we have something exciting coming up in November. Liz? On our November 5th episode, we're going to be discussing our latest Bell Curve book club pick, The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. It's it's about her year-long experiment to discover how to create true happiness. She draws on cutting-edge science, classical philosophy, and real-world examples, all those things we love here at Bell Curve, and delivers an engaging and eminently relatable chronicle of transformation. We're really excited about talking about her journey and how we can apply it to our lives. That'll be on November 5th. So we hope you can read it before then. But if not, I think you'll still really get a lot out of our conversation. 